Where's the blade? Ice lizard? Oh, come on, sand amphibian. You know, uh, uh, air reptile? You know, none of this is really working. Uh, can I get five Starbucks for a better intro? We're talking about Star Chaser, the legend of Orin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your new favorite show, The More You Nerd, the podcast where we talk about random nerdy things in different themed uh, events. And right now we are talking about Clone Wars, all of those Star Wars clone movies from the late 70s and early 80s. And today is no exception. Uh, today we are covering Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin a 1985 animated film. This one is actually animated, not live action, uh, produced by Stephen Hahn, written by Jeffrey Scott, and originally released in 3D, which you can definitely tell there were certain scenes that were supposed to be in 3D. But, of course, I cannot do this alone. I need some help. And, of course, I am enlisting my uh my robot compatriot uh the the ai to my ship miles how are you i'm doing all right um chugging along through clone wars obviously not quite as enthusiastic as this film as we were last week with a message from space because man how could you be <laughs> I mean, um message from space was was so good but i'm i'm always i'm always excited to watch legitimate non-disney animated films from kind of this time period because they're more often than not extremely interesting i mean you have stuff from like none of this necessarily from this time period but stuff like wizards and and things of that ilk that that don't get talked about too often and especially animation that at least seem to take the material seriously enough to where it doesn't feel like oh this is a quote-unquote for kids movie you know this is the movie we're talking about this week, by by, you know, for all intents and purposes, treats the material seriously. It feels like an actual film. It just happens to be animated, which is a relief to see in American cinema, especially at this time. And this is where I, I will talk about uh, a couple of things, because being animated and we have talked about this in that, you know, we talked about Battle Beyond the Stars being limited by budget, what they could do. And and how, you know, uh, uh, a message from space last week uh, really got to explore because it did have a higher budget and it also had, you know, uh, the sort of the back of the, the Toei Sentai Film Corporation. This movie gets to do whatever it wants simply because it is animated. And that is something that I think really shines through and is maybe the highlight of this movie is that when you walk around uh, a, a crazy alien planet, you've got some weird looking aliens that are one off yeah. crazy looking aliens that don't show up again because you don't have to pay someone to make a gigantic rubber suit for that alien to to have. You can just put it on the page and it's much, much easier to make bigger 
wilder uh, vistas in, in this whole thing. Yeah, and I think that's especially true about fantasy and science fiction. And I, I have to give credit to, you know, the whole cast and crew. I mean, Stephen Hahn and Jeffrey Scott and the animators, you know, they they certainly had some sort of vision. And, you know, I, I remember commenting to Drew I was like, this is kind of like if a 12-year-old could have made Star Wars versus Heavy Metal, but obviously make it so that w- a version of Heavy Metal that if his mom found he wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> Depends on the scene in this movie, I think. But uh... Uh, but no, but but it's uh, all of it is PG-13 enough to where, you know, probably wouldn't get in too much trouble. Sure, sure. Uh, so So let's get into a little bit of the plot, because I feel like this is also maybe our most different plot that we've come across so far. Um, so we open on the the planet Trinia, and we have a bunch of of basically human slaves that are working underground, and there's they're mining these crystals for their god, who is named Zygon, and they see Zygon across this gigantic chasm with this big rocky mouth with fire coming out of it, and it's it's pretty cool. He kind of looks like Clancy Brown from Highlander. A little bit. He does look a little Kurgan-esque. Yeah, he, he's got he's got this. It's the bone structure of or I guess the the uh, metallic structure of his face. Oh, oh spoilers, uh, he just, he, spoilers for a movie from 1985. <laughs> but he does. He, yeah, he has that Clancy Brown, that Clancy Brown spirit. <laughs> Uh, and and so so Oren is is one of these slaves and he and his friend, uh, well, he calls her his girlfriend at uh, to a certain point in the movie. And then he just refers to her as a friend, which I think is a hugely disrespectful to her. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> there there. I mean, there there are certainly some I mean, again, this movie has some really, really entertaining, fun and I would say like a lot of potential. This movie has a lot of potential, but this movie also falls in some of the same traps that uh, Battle Beyond the Stars did, where there is some weird dry, some weird dryness, because there are moments that are dry that doesn't feel like it should be. There is certainly a, a lack of um, kinetic energy to this film that, you know, Star Wars has meshes from space has. But the other two films that we've watched this week um or including this one uh do not and so i'm i'm i walk away from this one torn because there are some very cool ideas when this movie is doing its own thing it's great and i feel like when it's doing a little bit more of a star wars or masters of the universe type of thing it really kind of just slogs for me so so that's where that's where i think I'm both aligned and differ from you with, but that's, that's going to be getting into this. So, so basically the, 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 let's short get answer, into this. Yeah, let's get into it. So Oren, his girlfriend, Elan, uh, they, they, and, and Oren also has a blind little brother, which I only mentioned because he shows up at the very end or the very beginning and very end of the movie. Uh, and it's going to be very important that this little brother is blind because I think there's a weird take that this movie has on some things, <laughs> but uh, I, I totally did not pick up on oh, that. He was blind until a little bit later. <laughs> Cause I, I just thought this kid was like giving away water. Like it was like, 
hot dogs at a, a Braves game. Like, yeah. So, so this another thing I'll say about this movie. It's pretty well animated. It's not a, a poor. It's not a poorly animated movie. It feels like a movie from 1985. It doesn't feel like a movie from 2007, but it's not bad. The frame rate's okay. Like, I don't know. Am I wrong on this? No, no. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty well animated little film. So, so uh, to to flash forward a little bit, uh, Oren and his girlfriend, uh, Oren finds this this uh, this sword that has a blade to it, and as he kind of as he holds it, it flashes out of his hand and sticks in the ground and gives him a message from Space Moses, some sort of like space person that wears a long white robe and a, and has a long white beard that tells them that. He needs to go and find the world above because this is a mining. This is a planet that they're all underground all the time. And so he and Elon uh, pledge to do this and they go forward and they do actually get across for they they, they start. They get across the the, the chasm uh, to see Zygon and then Zygon straight up murders Elon. And that is what I was not expecting. <laughs> I, the, the brutality of the opening third of this film is really unexpected. I mean, the first thing you see is like a child get crushed by a bunch of rocks. Yep, you see that. And I was like, OK, but it's also not graphic, which somehow makes it worse. Yeah, like you see a kid running like mother, mother, and then crash. And then you just see legs yeah, sticking like, out from under rubble. Yeah, if I had seen like a bunch of blood or something, I'd have been, I would have been like, all right, yeah, 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 it's whatever. But like you don't. And for whatever reason, that makes it just worse somehow and then yes um he essentially kind of i think it was both what the kurgan did to somebody yeah zygon but, but, zygon strangles elon to death and she just falls yeah. to the ground and she just fall, falls flat and, and, and i think that's part of it is some there's a lifelessness to some of the animation that makes things weirdly effective only because they don't feel right it's not because it's well animated, even though this movie's honestly for the time pretty solid in its animation. It feels like if you had a really high quality episode of He-Man. Well, so so I, the budget of I, this, I, the budget of this movie uh, based on on our research was 15 million dollars in 1985 money. I do not know how they spent. That is a huge amount of money. Uh, especially that, for that, you know for for that time that's that that is a massive amount of money and i i i just don't know where 15 million dollars well, came from box, i mean a box for example, gremlins in 1984 was 11 million dollars yeah so box office just over 3 million so it lost a lot of money at the box office this movie did um which I'm trying to figure out why. Is it because it was released in 3D? Because that's the thing. I, we watched this in obviously in 2D. They didn't have any of the 3D effects in it. So, so I was one in 85. I believe you were as well. So yes, I don't know how well this movie was marketed. I don't know if this came on like during Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, you know, at, at that prime peak times when the people who would beg their parents to go see this movie would. Would I, I don't know if people knew about it and I don't know if they I don't know if they knew what audience they were trying to reach, because, again, there is kind of a heavy metalness to it. 
So they may not have catered to kids who might have wanted to see this movie. But at and, the same and, time, and, because it's because it's kind of it seems a little toned down, they probably didn't advertise to the older people who might have want, come to see this. I, this this I would be very interested in finding out about the release of this film. So so this is another thing I have to say about this. And uh, so so Miles and Miles and, and I keep talking about heavy metal. We are not talking about the type of music we are talking about the 198. It was it 1980. Is that when heavy metal came out? Um uh 78 i thought let me double check i could be wrong but we are talking about the 81 i'm sorry 81 we are talking about the animated movie heavy metal based on art that came out of heavy metal magazine in the 70s and 80s that's what we're talking about we're talking about heavy metal here so when you look at this movie and the way things move and the designs feel like animation that is coming out of that. Now I could not find any creative DNA between the two. Uh, so it, it's not impossible if you had enough animators working on this, they, they animated this film in South Korea. So it is entirely possible that you had some of the same people over there working on this movie that worked on, on heavy metal. I do not know. This is me just speculating, uh, but you watch this and it's like, OK, this and I say that it feels that way in the way that characters move in the way that that certain things are super high, high frame rate animation and other things are very low frame rate animation. It doesn't feel like a Disney movie. It doesn't feel like uh, um, um, the uh, the other big uh, animator of the time. Uh, it doesn't feel like a Warner Brothers Looney Tune, whatever either. But uh, well, and this was this was also during a weird period for Disney too. Like the the Renaissance had not hit yet, and I don't I don't even think like something like the Rescuers had come out yet. Hmm. So we, I mean, I I, I want to feel like this was maybe around the time that, um, like Black Cauldron may may have come out this time. I I don't know. Uh, that is a great question. Um, and so, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's important to note that, you know, yeah, Disney was having a rough time. This is kind of known as their, um, their dark ages. Yeah. Black Cauldron was 85. Fox and the Hound is 81. Uh, the Rescuers was 77. I didn't realize it was that, that late. And so, I mean, these movies did well. But during the 80s, like especially the Black Cauldron, the Black Cauldron was kind of seen as a, a huge, huge misstep. Uh, that movie had a $44 million budget and made 21. Oof. Uh, so that was a huge swing and a miss for Disney. And I mean, a lot of people talk about this period as if they were in dire straits and their movies made money. They just weren't kind of setting the world on fire, especially compared to what they would start doing later in the decade. Yeah. But um. The Black Cauldron. So dark fantasy was certainly in the air because when you even even you, you have Disney making dark fantasy movies at a time, it kind of gives you an idea of what was um, something people were, were extremely interested in in the mid 80s. And that's really where we need to switch back to talking about our plot, because this isn't just a dark fantasy. It has a lot of dark fantasy elements to it, but this is maybe the most direct sci-fi of the three movies that we have watched as well it's it's hard to say because there is a lot of 
because there's a lot of dark fantasy, because you do have a little bit of that He-Man vibe to it, it's it's hard for me to say it's more sci-fi than Message from Space. Uh, it definitely has a He-Man vibe to it, too. So, so yeah, so Oren, our boy, his girlfriend's dead. Uh, he has escaped because of an explosion that happened when he was facing down with Zygon. And wouldn't you know it, the boy finds his way to the surface and is almost immediately beset by these weird mutants. <laughs> yeah, and also... Is he the only? I can't remember when he gets his little vest. He doesn't get his Is vest he, until later. Okay, okay, but he always had the hairband, right? Yes, the hairband he had yeah. from when he was in the tunnels. Okay, yeah. I mean, the, the, or, Oren's such a look. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oren, who looks like a cave dwelling, uh, mining person, uh, is now. I mean, he looks like um, what's what's his name? Uh, Kazar from Marvel. I don't know who that is, but that's okay. Uh, K- Kazor is kind of like the the kind of caveman character. Um, imagine a, on D. Imagine a long hair, a long blonde haired pretty boy from the 1980s who was who barely wears a shirt for most of the movie, and that's that's Oren. Uh, You're so, describing He Man. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, he's not quite as built as He Man though, uh, <laughs> or even Adam Eternia. Uh, so. <laughs> So so uh, Oren's on the surface and he is immediately beset by these mandroids who are like these cyborg monsters, basically. And they're kind of creepy looking and they're all a little different. And they want to capture him and cut off his limbs and graft his limbs onto their bodies, which is like, wow, dark gross dark i mean that that's that's a hundred percent where that kind of um that heavy metal dark fantasy comes in yeah and and he escapes from them using using this sword hilt that does in fact have a blade that randomly comes out randomly and he we don't know why we don't know why um but he uh he escapes from them and he runs into a smuggler our han solo character named dag dag debrimi uh and he uh he call starts calling uh, Oren water snake for some reason. And I don't know why he finds him in the water at the very beginning and continues to call him water snake the entire movie, despite the fact that the name doesn't really fit, but who cares? Uh, whatever. Um, and, and he and Oren, uh, uh, d- uh, they, they escape the planet on his ship, uh, that, uh, is run by a, an, an AI named Arthur and we've got three of our cast members all of a sudden. Um, yeah. Then, then, then miles, we should probably talk about when the movie gets real, real weird and creepy. Well, so here's the thing about this, this movie. (laughs) Um, and, and this is something I've noticed with, Almost all of the, I mean, Message from Space is an anomaly, but the, the two American films that we've watched and, and we talked about this with Battle from uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Beyond, yeah, Battle Beyond the Stars. There seems to be a misreading of Han Solo. And for whatever reason, at least the two movies that we have watched, the two American films that we've watched that have been directly influenced by Star Wars is to take that character and translates them translate them to the only way that we know how this type of character and that's make them a cowboy they did it in Babylon the stars and they did it here 
I mean, to a lesser degree, it's definitely to but, a lesser degree. I wouldn't. The only thing I would but call he's him still very much a cowboy. The only thing I would call him cowboy like is that he calls Orin water snake. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, he still has this cowboy behavior that. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a yeehaw behavior, but it's certainly very Western like. And I, I suppose you could call it Western like. I'm not sure that I, that 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 fits necessarily. Oh, it, I don't know. I don't know. It, that, that was the first thing I thought of for me. It, it just it seems that like people kind of mistook the the space pirate apps uh, like uh, kind of archetype that they made with Han Solo. And for whatever reason, I mean, I, I not for whatever reason, I kind of get why. But they translated that into the only way they knew how and that would be like a western or cowboy type character and and to me i mean i i i know you disagree so i mean that's, I, I, that's dis- I disagree i disagree with that one in particular with that one in this case i mean literally this battle beyond the stars was easy because his name was literally cowboy this he was but but dag th- dag to me is very much a cowboy this movie scores huge points for me by not mentioning earth there is one reference that could be considered about Earth, but they they, 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 make, they make two. They never named the planet and they imply that it was a long, long, long time ago that it was a, a deal. Outside of that, every place that we go, everything that we see is a new, new area. It's a new planet. It's a new solar system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think this is supposed to be uh, several thousand years in the future. They, I mean, they certainly make a reference to Earth, and especially when <laughs> Saigon's like, "This is why the dinosaurs are, are extinct." And I'm like, "What?" Okay, so I, I, I completely glossed over that part. <laughs> yeah, he he makes this random reference to dinosaurs, and and uh, especially Orin would have no idea what dinosaurs are, and I'm just like, "Okay, we're not on Earth." and th- we'll, we'll these back, creatures we'll are get, very very weird on this planet so why do you bring up dinosaurs <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to zygon because because you know maybe maybe there there's some, some yeah history i understand there. the millennia's old robot has to make old references <laughs> yeah but, make old references to, to no one but himself so what's well, he on a podcast i <laughs> <laughs> got him got me um Anyway, so we, we, uh, that's, we a, that's a burn on both of us. <laughs> yeah. So we, we have Dag and Dag is sort of he's sort of no nonsense. He's sort of a cowboy style character. And he's he's out looking for these crystals uh, that 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 Orin and his people have been mining. Um, and along the way, they capture a fembot. <sighs> Her name is Silica. Yeah. Here's another thing we can't get away from uh, weird sexual assault situations in the Star Wars ripoffs. Yeah. So so Silica as a as a fembot and they do they do use this term in the movie. Um, this is not me making this up. She works for the the. I don't even remember what the name of the the area is. It's got a like it's. Uh, I don't remember. I should have written it down. But <laughs> it's like the it's like the Vorta. Vor, it, it sounds like Vortigaunt from Half-Life, but it's not that. Um, and she's understandably upset by being kidnapped by these people. So what does Dag do? He looks up where her 
emotional subroutines are, which just happens to be in her butt. <sighs> yeah, and tell 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 me, Drew, uh, what happens to her as soon as he uh, finishes working on her butt? So uh, after Dag, uh, while holding her down and removing her posterior plate and doing some sort of electricalness to it, sparks fly. All of a sudden, she's like, ooh, come up and see me sometime. What's your name? Ooh, ooh la la. Ooh, I like you. Da 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 da. Ha 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 ha. And that doesn't really stop the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. They 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 kind of make her a little bit more of a character, which is which is nice. It it it, it is good, and she 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 does still make she makes makes bad choices, but bad choices for the right reasons. She does seem to actually love Dag at this point, and to his credit, Dag seems to love her back i don't know it's kind of tough to say what's going on there yeah but, uh, the situation is is wild uh i'm i'm gonna start fast forwarding through the plot because otherwise i'm gonna get sidetracked by everything um so at this point we are also introduced to another character that we will not see again until later in the movie and that is the character of aviana uh, who is has actually the same voice and the character has the same face as Elan, uh, Oren's uh, dead girlfriend. Uh, she seems to be very rich when we meet her and turns out she is, in fact, very rich. She is the daughter of the governor of one of these planets. That's the leader of the sector. She is rich. She is effectively our princess Leia here. Um, except there is no rebel alliance because that hasn't happened yet. Right. Nothing to rebel against. Um, and it is around this time that we learned that Zygon is actually a robot and he is a robot that is going to take over the galaxy, but he has been stopped in the past on multiple occasions by the wielder of Kakan this crazy sword hilt thing. Um, this is where I find I actually liked this reference a lot, and I liked the way that it played into uh, into the movie um, where where Zygon that we have now learned is a is a robot. He is talking about how generations ago on they don't ever name the planet. A computer beat a human being in chess for the very first time. And that was the first time that, that we learned that we could outdo our masters, that sort of thing. And like, that's kind of a cool little take on, on this. Uh, I I don't know how you feel about that. Miles. I no, I liked it. I thought it was a, it was a very specific reference. And I, of all the Earth references that have been made, I like these very subtle ones. Well, for the most part, uh, a lot because you know we we learn that this this character has been along alive in some sort of fa- fashion or at least sentient for thousands of years. So that that's fine, and I really liked this aspect of it. 
and the fact that like oh like even these mechanical beings have a sense of history and he's talking about the you know the first computer that beat a, a human in chess i i i actually really liked that aspect um and, and yeah we're just we we are also going to to talk about aviana now um and that the the ship crashes uh, the the ship piloted by arthur that all the ship designs in this movie are really cool by the way like they they all look very yeah. different like the the main ship itself um flying around it's got these sort of two engine pylons that sort of twist around and causes the ship to be able to do some cool stuff um all of the ship sound effects however are from star wars the yeah the main i mean there's ship certainly sound- a lot of star wars in a lot of the aesthetic designs uh, I, I I'm not talking aesthetic designs. I'm talking when you he- if you close your eyes and hear that ship flying across the screen, it's the Millennium Falcon sound effect. It is not. Oh, sure. It is stolen from from Lucasfilm. <laughs> and that's not the only thing. There are some blaster noises. There are some doors that sound out of Star Trek. There's some there's they borrowed heavily from from other things. Um, boy, where to go from here? Uh, Oren goes after Zyga. Uh, so, so, okay. Aviana rescues Oren from their crashed ship. Uh, they, Zygon's forces capture Dag. And this is really where the, the, the plot kind of turns up to 11. It kind of just starts going places. And, uh, here's where, here's where I, I don't like the movie miles. Aviana has met Oren for all of, 17 seconds and she is in love with him yeah i mean that that kind of thing happens a lot in this era and it is what it is i was actually less bothered by this aspect but than a lot of the the dryness of watching oren go around the marketplace yeah that was that was okay just because it was new and different like it was yeah, it was wild. sure but uh, there, there's a lot that and like Oren falls everywhere he goes. He That dude's face loves the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like I, I, I there is I mean, there is not a, a, a protagonist of a film this side of Mr. Bean in science fiction that that falls as much as Oren does in this film. I have to just assume that it's because he grew up with with such dim light that he's just constantly blinded by everything that's going on now that he's above ground. I don't know. But even in the in scenes where like you're supposed to be rooting for him, like he gets no formal training this entire film. Like no. he 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 wins the final battle by luck. Like he's still from from the very first time he starts fighting to the very last battle just sticks with yelling and charging at 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 his opponent <laughs> yeah i mean which which works um the, but to go to go back to Aviana, oh, that doesn't work he almost gets thrown off the cliff <laughs> but but he survives he survives he grabs a leg it's cool um the, one thing that i i thought was the wildest choice that they possibly could have made because you have to remember this has been maybe a couple of days they never say on screen how long it's been between all of these things that Oren has come out from underground but i don't think it's been that long since Oren's girlfriend was strangled to death by 
by uh, Zygon. And the second that Oren detects that Aviana's into him, <laughs> and he sees something and pauses because he realizes that she looks exactly like uh, Elan and also sounds exactly like Elan because they're voiced by the same actress. <laughs> she she asks him, oh, you look sad. What are you thinking about? He goes, my eyes to this direction, eyes to that direction friend <laughs> it's like that is ice cold Oren. he ice he read the room cold. he read the room he knew what was going on <laughs> um then then we have a pretty honestly a pretty big uh space battle as they go and rescue dag and there's ships that are going to attack the 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 main uh, planet of of the the people that are run by the robots and they figure out how to defeat those before they get there and blah 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 oh and they they have a whole final battle between Orin and zygon and, and and the final battle takes place underground so that Orin can free his people and show them that zygon is a fake and blah 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 and and then after after all is said and done and i i know we 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 still have probably more to talk about but i have to talk about this miles we are introduced to the fact that Orin is now eligible to forego his human form and transcend to the other uh, spirits of kakan and you see all right (laughs) you see space moses that we saw earlier and you see yes space joseph and, and space jesus <laughs> and if you think that if you think that well there's some there's some weird where's some weird biblical choices after this you remember river Orin's blind brother <laughs> Orin lays on hands and suddenly his little <laughs> brother can see <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah, no there's explanation a lot of that. for it's just been a sword to this point. There's no explanation why he could do this. <laughs> well, no, doesn't he doesn't he save somebody else at one point? Doesn't doesn't he? Uh, I don't know. Uh, his powers are. I mean, this is worse than the force in some ways because we well, we, 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 do, we do learn that the hilt itself is meaningless. The hilt is just a conduit he realizes that he can summon his own personal mind sword whenever yeah, he wants. I, I did not care for that necessarily. You know, I, there it's... are parts of that that I was like, okay, they're, they're doing the force. And that really, to me was the like, oh, even the reviews at the time were like such a brazen ripoff, George Lucas, um, or a, a brazen ripoff of George Lucas, star Wars that you think lawyers might've been called in. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, and Cisco and Ebert also called this a, a brazen Star Wars ripoff. And I feel like, and this is what we talked about at the very beginning of the month, is I, I feel like just because you make a space odyssey or a space opera doesn't mean you're ripping off Star Wars. And yes, this, this film especially, there are a lot of key elements there. You have your blonde hair, blue eye, kind of farm boy-ish, even though he was raised a slave. You have your... So it's more like an empire. Yeah, he's a little bit more like Anakin. So like, you know, (laughs) 15 years before uh, Phantom Menace. Oh, no. Did George Lucas rip off Oren? (laughs) I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if George (laughs) Lucas was informed by other things that ripped off his material. But for me, outside of the space fairy nonsense, 
I didn't see it as much as a Star Wars ripoff. Because if you take out that aspect, the whole lightsaber aspect of it, everything else feels pretty far from Star Wars. Yeah, in, in a way that most of these things so far have not been huge Star Wars ripoffs. There was not that, a, battle. Battle in the stars is the, probably the closest. It was close, but there was no laser sword. If there ain't a laser sword, I am am not seeing too much of a Star Wars ripoff. Uh, Interesting. So how do you feel about the first season of The Mandalorian? There there or Rogue One. There is a laser sword in that. In the first. Well, yeah, in the in the post credit sequence. No, it's in the. Wasn't that no wait, was that post credits? I don't remember anymore. Uh, <laughs> but that's also a world. But those are also worlds where where laser swords exist, and you know they exist. But uh, sure, sure. But so, but what I'm saying is like, okay, so so right now, our our main idea behind a Star Wars ripoff is that two things: one, you have a blonde-haired young male protagonist, which we have in Battle Beyond the Stars, which has been consistent. Yeah, and we have in in legend of orden which we did not have in uh message from space yeah i mean aaron is is brunette but he does have that kind of feathered hair that luke had so sure you know uh so two you have an oppressive regime with a clad in black figure that is a darth vader-ish character and that we have in all three of these Yes, although the weird thing about this one is that it's not some big empire. They are planning some secret attack, at least on this world, but it's not the Galactic Empire of the other three films. Yes, and that's true. They do have a huge force that is unknown, and they are about to spring it on the rest of the galaxy. And gets taken out extremely conveniently. (laughs) Yes, 100%. There is some sort of mystical quasi religious thing going on and oddly battle beyond the star battle beyond the yeah. stars it's the is, only one that doesn't really have it. the only one that doesn't really have it they have the religion of the akira people that they comment and talk about all the time but it doesn't give anybody any special powers that we know right. of at least maybe in the sequel i don't know <laughs> Well, and and so the, there, yes, there, I mean, like I said, there is some shared DNA, but I, I really struggle. Um, I, I understand that everyone at the time had no problem with it, but I struggle calling this one a Star Wars ripoff. It's tough to like say. If you, had, if, you, if you had shown me this movie with no context, I would have been like, yeah, the laser sword felt very Star Wars. But other than that, like, I wouldn't have even put the fact that, you know, the Star Wars ship sounds were being used. Like, because the ship designs, yeah, there, there are some similarities, but I mean, again, most of this movie doesn't feel like Star Wars. There, like when you when you when you parse it out, yes, there is there is there uh, a princess like character, a hundred percent. Like there are things that you can put on a checklist, but they don't serve the same purpose. I don't think because yeah. you know uh, Aviana has a very different role than Leia. She does have Leia's haircut, though. She has a hundred percent. She is one hundred percent dressed as Empire every, Strikes Back. Leia. I feel like every eighty sci-fi like prote- female protagonist had that. Like anywhere from Master of the Universe to Silverhawks, like you always saw that haircut for some reason. 
I, you know, it it looks it looks complicated, like more complicated on a day to day basis than most people could do. And therefore must be space magic involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I mean, there are things you could put on a checklist that like, yes, this movie checks off. But if I watch this movie without context, the first thing in my head outside of the laser sword situation would not be Star Wars, to be honest. And and this is kind of why I wanted to do some of these Star Wars ripoff movies, because I do think some of these movies get a bad rap for being, quote unquote, Star Wars ripoffs. And, and I think this one is is definitely a part of that. There there are I, I think I see some closer ties to this one in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. The laser sword. Well, magic sword, whatever you want to call it, being one of them. Uh, but. On the other side, it is very different in 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 other ways in that I think this this movie has the a definite style to it that you can point to and say this is its own thing. It does oh, for sure. It does feel like diet heavy metal like you. But you have got crazy aliens all over the place. You've got some pretty wild vocal performances and things like that, just because when you do animation, that's a thing that's easier to do. We talked about that at the beginning of the episode, but uh. But but yeah, I I can see why in 1985 this would be considered a Star Wars ripoff. But so because I, I, because I wanted Star I wanted Wars, to ask because, you a question about this, Drew. Well, OK. And it, it, it's a complicated question. Do you think it's a Star Wars ripoff or do you think that as time has passed, our kind of cinematic digestion has matured that we can see the shared dna without automatically decrying it a ripoff so i I, you and i are millennials we are approaching 40 and we have been in this game long enough to have seen things like for example i know i've seen some stuff (laughs) well so i know references from movies that i have never seen because sure. I've seen them referenced in the Looney Tunes and the Simpsons and this and that and a hundred thousand other things that we have seen. I have seen, uh, you know, we've listened to, to songs that we don't know were covers until 20 years later. Uh, this. Are you referencing the fact that I told you that Torn was a cover? <laughs> Like oh, last uh, week. No, I was not referencing that. I was thinking of oh. uh, I was thinking of uh, Tainted Love by Soft Spe- Soft Cell specifically. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but but what I mean is is when you're but in the context of 1985, mm-hmm. what other huge astronomically big sci-fi franchise was making movies other than Star Wars? I mean Star Trek, but we're not talking about that. Yeah, I was actually about to say Star Trek. <laughs> But Star Trek is 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 more, you know, it's uh, it's not hard sci-fi, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a different flavor. It's it, it, where Star Wars was like the biggest thing for several years, especially when it came to anything in space. And when you have anything that is even tangentially associated with it, that's coming out at the same time, they're definitely borrowing concepts and, and looks and feels of certain things, even if they're not, even if they're not adapting the script word for word. I mean, we had two basic interpretations of Akira Kurosawa's seven samurai. Well, and this one is none of those things. But I also think like, you know, how I was making comments about Masters Universe and He-Man. This is two years after the the 
actual cartoon debuted and I think four years after the figures debuted. So this kind of fantasy sci-fi blend was already being kind of gobbled up by pop culture because I mean, both those figures and that show, you had so many different types of these weird sci-fi fantasy blend cartoons in the eighties for sure. And, and I think I honestly, I would, I would call this more, borrowing from that than star wars to me yes it checks off some boxes but like outside of the kind of force like thing of these do they actually just call them space fairies uh oh so they were they're kakan they are the yeah, yeah but what is what, what is what is um what's his face keep the, calling them starflies uh, dag star starflies. starflies um outside of that and the kind of telekinetic sword I would I would say I would I would pose that this really borrows more from the kind of sci-fi fantasy blends like Master of the Universe more than Star Wars. And you know, when you look at 1985, it is equal measure. You could really talk about this stuff in equal measure. And that's the interesting thing about doing this is that I expected when I because we we went through a we we parsed a lot of lists that were like oh craziest Star Wars ripoffs da, da 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 and this one showed up on a bunch of lists and Battle Beyond the Star showed up on a bunch of lists and Message from Space showed up on a bunch of lists and I'm walking away from all three of these not really getting a huge amount of Star Wars out of these things I'm getting certainly things that borrowed some elements but they're telling their own stories there I would I would deign to call these ripoffs. I mean, honestly, the closest to me has been Battle Beyond the Stars. Yes, I think that I think has been the right closest because, like we said, it felt like it it copied its homework, but it didn't understand the assignment. I think both Message from Space and this film, they they may have certainly been influenced, but I would hardly call them ripoffs. And I understand that the language and the reading of of these type of things has changed in the last thirty five years. I get that. So that I, I, I would measure to say that people might be more kind to all of these movies now, more so than in the time that they were released. But of the three we've watched, I would say Message from Space, I mean, obviously is my favorite. And because it's a different culture, it, it is very different. I mean, that movie yeah. is wild. And it's its own <laughs> thing. But in terms of the two Western movies we watched, I feel like Star Chaser is i think it's unfairly maligned as a star wars ripoff and i'm just i I, I don't i want to i don't want to go as far as saying it's a a hidden gem but i feel like if you're looking for animated films like full-length standalone films and you haven't come across this one it's worth checking out so this this is where and we talked about this at the very beginning because i think this movie succeeds on a number of fronts it's it's entertaining to watch it drags a little bit in a couple of points, but honestly, it, it drags less than the prior two ones of these that we have seen. Um, the, the, oh, I don't, I don't think message drags. OK, um, you can go catch uh, star flies in that movie if you want. Look, that scene. No, that scene is stupid, but it doesn't drag. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing about this movie to me, and I, I have to say this is because. I can't tell who the audience of this movie is for. And that drew you just you hit the nail on the head in in that aspect, because we talked about this at the top of the episode, because. All right. 
it's not hardcore enough for that teenage heavy metal audience. It's probably a little too mature for the extremely young audience to really be engaged with. And yeah, maybe the middle audience might enjoy it, but like, I don't understand who this is for because the characters aren't defined or honestly smart enough to engage an adult audience that much. These characters are kind of dumb. And not only that, but, but you have characters like Dag saying damn and hell every scene. And that's not, I mean, that doesn't bother me. It was the eighties. But that's like you, that, you got to think of movies that were PG in the eighties. That, yeah, that, that, that was fine. And, and like uh, uh, Silica, the fembot, calls him a son of a bitch at one point. Um, it, it, it's 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 language that I would expect in a film that takes bigger chances with other stuff than it does. I I don't agree with that just because the Goonies exist. I mean, I, they curse a lot in that movie. Sure, but but that's uh, as as someone who once worked at a charter school and decided to show that movie to a group of K through fives. Yeah, no, that was a bad call, bro. That was, that a, bad was call. a great, greatly bad call. Kind of, kind of <laughs> like when my my mom tried to show the Ghostbusters movie to my uh, young cousins, remembering that I loved the Ghostbusters cartoon show all the time and not having seen the Ghostbusters movie in a, a decent bit of time. <laughs> Uh, these things happen. But again, <laughs> I would say something like Goonies and something like Monster Squad. They. They take that like that kind of language and they earn that PG-13 ish rating where this movie doesn't. This movie is G rated, except they say damn a lot. <laughs> Wait, this movie's G? <laughs> I don't know what rating it actually is. I can't actually. Oh, find I, I was I was about to say there's there's no way this movie's rated G. That would be insane. Uh, it is rated um, according to a poster that I am seeing uh, that also calls it a, a magical movie experience in the tradition of Snow White and Dark Crystal. Uh, it is it is rated uh, PG. OK, PG makes sense. Um, but but we also got to remember all those brutal deaths we watched at the beginning of this movie. Brutal robot deaths, brutal human deaths. Uh, you do get visible blood on faces in multiple in two scenes. When when the ship crashes, you see uh, both uh, Orin yeah. and Dag kind of covered in blood when that happens. So um, I also love that one of the posters has them on these kind of majestic horses. Spa- they're on space horses that do not. Well, I take that back. Aviana's space horse does show up in the movie. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, this this scene does not exist in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. It really doesn't. Um, I I think I'm I'm running out of things to say about Star Chaser: The Legend of Orin. I'm just I'm confounded by this movie because I don't know how I feel. Um, I think you are a hundred percent in asking who is this for because this movie is tonally all over the place. I think the movie's attention spans all over the place, and. Yes, there are instances where it wants you to believe Orin is the next Luke Skywalker, but at the same time, Orin is kind of the worst. Yes, yes, like, yes, he is. He does not honestly, listen. He does his own thing every time. <laughs> right. I mean, he's the opinion of every child character that kind of sucks. Like, if they had, like, let... um. <laughs> 
if they had let Aviana take reins of this movie, it might have been a little bit different. But then they start running her like a typical 16 year old sitcom character where she's just like she can't even without without Oren. Yeah. You know, you know, that old uh, that old uh, phrase um, uh, doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result is. Uh, yeah. Definition of insanity. The definition of insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's Oren and he just succeeds the second time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, Orin, Orin is is somehow supposed to be the character that grows, and it seems he he grows the least. He just kind of keeps stumbling forward. He grows the ability to cast a magic sword from his hands without a hilt. Um, and I mean, that's not to say this movie is without merit or entertainment. I do think this movie is especially in parts, very entertaining. I, I, I especially like it as a non Disney animated full length feature film in this era. Those are few and far between. It feels like, yeah, especially I, one that does dark, dark fantasy like this. I really like the character of dag. I like dag. <laughs> I think he's a fun character. He is actually voiced uh, by an actor named uh, Carmen Argenziano Argenziano, who I think a lot of our listeners will know as uh Jacob Carter, father of Samantha Carter on Stargate SG-1. Um, um, I also like the star fairies were voiced by Sheila Broflowski from South Park. That is a a wonderful treat. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a whole other thing. Because uh, this. So so uh, so, yeah, uh, S- Star Chaser, the legend of Orin. Every uh, so many star references uh, this month um, that I think is where we're yeah, going to end our conversation th- on this movie. I think my final thoughts are it feels it honestly feels like the pilot of an animated series. Oh, 100 percent. I could definitely I, I can feel I can feel like this world being expanded upon in an animated series in some form or fashion. Um, not that I think this time period was ready to do that because it would, it would require something that's not resetting itself every, every episode. But, um, I, I, I'm middle of the road on this one, Drew. I, I, I like parts of it. I think it does at least attempt to do some different things. And I, I think it's unfair to call it a star Wars ripoff. I, I would agree with those statements. I think, think where this movie succeeds is some of the character design, creature design, some of the the wild swings it takes in non-human esque uh, stuff, um, and and that's that's really really fantastic. Um, I think it. I think the story is a little uh, boilerplate. I think it's pretty pretty typical, um, but I think some of the characterizations of characters outside of Orin uh, really work for me. Uh, so I think I like it a little bit more than you. Obviously, I don't love it, but um, you know, I think I think it's a it's an interesting one. Uh, and speaking, Absolutely. speaking of interesting movies, this one's going to be a tough one, I think, for us, Miles. Uh, our final movie of the of the month, uh, Star Odyssey. Uh, Star Odyssey is a, an Italian film from 1979 by a director, Alfonso Brescia. Uh, it is sometimes known as Space Odyssey, Metallica captive planet and seven gold men in space uh it is the year 2312 and a group of aliens are auctioning off insignificant planets uh and an evil despot 
has won the auction for Earth. And that is where uh, we are going to to pick that up next week with this Italian film, Star Odyssey, that seems to be the biggest, uh, the the lowest budget of of the ones we have seen, the most attempting to to pull off of of Star Wars uh, uh, stuff. And I'm <laughs> I'm not sure about this, Miles, but you know, we'll have a good time. Yeah. We'll have a good time. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> so with that said, gang, this is where we're going to end our show tonight. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreunerd.com where you can find this and all of our other episodes more than a decade's worth. You can tweet to us at themoreunerd and you go to facebook.com slash themoreunerd and you can email us themoreunerd at gmail.com. That's themoreunerd at gmail.com. And in the meantime, so until next time, oh. <laughs> I'll go for go it. You want to do this one? That's oh. fine. That's fine. So until next time, we're going to end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd. How?